Hello and welcome to the weekly VM Campos Comic Book Club. I'm your host, VM Campos. This is a podcast where I review a comic book, new or old, from my collection and rate it on the factors of the cover art, interior art, plot, and enjoyability of the book on a scale of 1 to 5. And then I tell you to get it or shred it. This week I'm reading Eclipse, the magazine number one, published in May 1981 by Eclipse Enterprises. For the video version of the podcast, head on over to youtube.com slash vmcampos. And to pledge and to support the show, head on over to patreon.com slash vmcampos. Now on with the show. All right, so a little behind-the-scenes info as usual. This is Eclipse Enterprises' entry into the crowded fantasy magazine arena, or the, the black-and-white fantasy magazine arena. Um, this joins the fray to compete with such venerable books as Heavy Metal, over at Heavy Metal Incorporated, or whatever their name is, 1984, which was published by Warren, and then eventually became 1994, which is also a black and white comic book in the 70s, focused on fantasy art and the like. Epic Magazine, which was from Marvel Comics, started publishing their own black and white uh, anthology series as well. There had been plenty of black and white anthologies in the underground comics in the day. And here in the brand new decade of the 80s, Eclipse begins publishing their own black and white anthology series from a variety of creators, artistic styles, plots, and the like. Now, this series really only lasted eight issues. It was bi-monthly, and it went from 81 to 83 or so. It starts off with a very high-minded editorial at the beginning, and the series really didn't last until 83 or so. Eclipse went on until the 90s, the early to mid-90s, but this magazine was, at, was, a, was a blip in time in the early 80s. But that's a little bit of information about Eclipse the magazine, published by Eclipse the Comics Company. All right, the cover. This is a beautiful painted cover, a fantasy scene, of course, in a fantasy magazine by Paul Gulacy, famous artist of the time. I'm going to say that over and over. Everyone's famous in this book. Here we have a proud warrior atop her steed in the middle of the fray. She stares intently at you, either to tell you, join us in the fray or get out of the way. This beautiful green sky, green and black sky, is extremely eye-catching. I love the colors there. The lower half is a little bit busier in terms also of colors. A lot of the skin tones and the stone and such is a little too similar in color. The main character, the warrior herself, I, I think she should have also been uh, featured a little bit more because we've also got this distracting element of this white horse. There's a lot to love about this cover, but then there's like little details that just uh, kind of ding it here and there. Also, uh, the, the magazine, it's really, the magazine title feels a little bit weird off to the right, right aligned over here. That's very odd. Usually you'd want it in the center or at the left. At the left, we have the names of some of the creators. Now, this kind of looks like silver ink, and it's not. It's just, I guess, silver color, but not really shiny or anything. And the names of the creators are very hard to read against that dark background. And this is something that plagues graphic designers from time immemorium, that when you put text on a background that fights with it, it's hard to read. So if you didn't even notice that there, this uh, the logo of the magazine being off-center, there's another kind of weird aspect. 
but the anatomy of the character looks amazing. Hey, I just noticed she's got a gun, but it's kind of like a warrior. So it's a mixture of, of genres of, of the ages of war, I suppose. But we'll give this, for the pure artistry, we'll give this a five out of five. But because of all the nitpicking, we'll give it a four and a half out of five. Interior art. Well, we've got a variety of artists on the interior. Quick little sketch here. Don Mates, uh, fun little wizard. Hey, that's predating the wizard from Wizard Magazine. And then we've got a variety of, of creators here focused on the art. We've got Marshall Rogers, Jim Starlin, Howard Cruz, P. Craig Russell, Mark Hempel, Trina Robbins, and Terry Beatty. So a, a, an amazing pedigree of artists with a variety of art styles. You can see them right away here. Very cartoony style, Trina Robbins. Much more realistic, Jim Starlin. And then just P. Craig Russell on, on his own level. The very first story, which I'm getting ahead of myself, but... The slab story is way too long, 20 pages. This is way too long. Uh, visually, I really like this first story, Slab. It's just a feast to behold, a feast for the eyes. Story-wise, I kind of hated it. I'll cover that later. But the Marshall Rogers art, it's so good. It's very creative. Lots of panel layouts, lots of just visual interest in every single panel. Uh, perfectly composed pen and ink. That explosion is amazing. This old guy over here, uh, criminal guy over here, also looks great. Yeah, just this this story's art is tremendous. And I'm going to say that basically for every single uh, story. Oh, uh, one thing. So, Klansban the Fuzel really stands out as incongruous in this, uh, in this art, where everything is very realistic. Then we have this extremely cartoony bird or a Fuzel. And uh, that just doesn't really fit with the rest of the book. Like, look at that cute bird compared to all of this realism. And it's just extremely weird. And its powers are uh, to, cl to cloud your mind with its wings or something. All right. So anyway, yeah, this is 20 pages long. It's a feast for the eyes, but this is way too long for what this story is. Moving on, we got Jim Starlin, who, of course, worked with many of the uh, Marvel superhero uh, cosmic things. You might recognize the devil here with an amazing afro like the Magus had uh, back in the Adam Warlock series uh, in the late 70s. And we've got these vertical panels that are just focused on realism and surrealism. And hey, that looks kind of like uh, Squint and that looks like Thanos makes an appearance, but it's not. It's the devil. A lot of imagery here, Dutch angle and such. Yeah, Jim Starlin, amazing. That looks like a classical painting. I, I can't put my finger on it, but it's on the tip of my tongue. That looks like a, a, a painting of antiquity. Then we move on. Comparatively, uh, a culture shock here. Very cartoony art by Howard Cruz. This, I would say, is like the art that I aspire to myself to create realistic but cartoony, believable characters that have a life to them that I really enjoy. So it's kind of interesting to see the... The, the change of pace from the previous realistic art to this much more cartoony art. But that's what you get with this type of a magazine, just a, a variety of art. Then again, we switch over to super hyper-realistic, and this is all pencil, according to the editorial. This is just pencil. There's no ink here. And it's to the detriment in a few places because then, you know, the scanning of it um, kind of lost some of the detail here and there. And on other parts, it's nice and solid and, and much more readable. But this is... Uh, P. Craig Russell just doing an amazing wordless story here, just a visual feast again. Although some of these 
Um, evil creatures are a little too cute with some like cute eyes here and there, but just amazing realism, fascinating panel layouts, lots of use of negative space. There's a page right here. That looks like classical antiquity Da Vinci sketches or classical sculpture. Just amazing stuff. That, I need that on a t-shirt. So yeah, every single piece of art in this book is amazing. Here, this is an interesting one. Mark Hempel's Cartoon Man. We've got a very cartoony character and a much more realistic character. And when we get to talk about the story, it's about existential dread and such. Uh, standard panel layouts here. Kind of simple-ish backgrounds. Great expression on that. Hey, did that predate the Steven Universe attire? There's a uh, there's an amazing ending. It's already spoiled there for you. But yeah, some more art. Very thick brush strokes with a variety of line weights where we go from cartoony to more realistic to real people, kind of. A one-page, I wish this was much longer, a one-page Trina Robbins joint with her wonderful style, just a golden age style in the modern times of the 80s. That's Orson Welles, by the way. This is the only part where there's a little bit of skin shown compared to everything else, but you know, it's cute. So we can allow it. Fun use of silhouette. Yeah, very cartoony, very Sunday funnies sort of style, golden age style. We move over, a ter we move over to a story uh, drawn by Terry Beatty, the introduction of Ms. Tree. And this, uh, on par with uh, Trina Robbins, also kind of really taps into like golden age of comics. This is a hard-bitten noir story of the introduction of Ms. Tree and Mr. Tree, their investigators and the like. And this is just a fascinating throwback compared to the previous stories where it feels like it's old art. It feels like it's old panel layouts, feels vintage in a way, with some modern flourishes here and there. Vietnam War is mentioned. That's something way more violent that might have been in the classic books. And then the plot, which we'll get to later. And so there we're seeing a variety of artists. And then some of these ads, we've got some Bernie Wrightson goodness right there. And um, John Pound. So yeah, the art on this, this is a five out of five, of course. I love anthology series because you get a variety of artists. And even if there's an artist that you don't like, just turn the page and there'll be another one that you do like. So it's very easy to give the interior art of this book a five out of five. The plot, on the other hand, um, well, we have a variety of writers to contribute to this issue. We've got Steve Englehart, Jim Starlin, Howard Cruz, Pete Craig Russell, Mark Hempel, Chris Brown, and Max Allen Collins. Uh, let's jump to the back over here for a moment, actually, where we have everyone's sort of biographies. Pause it, read it on your own. But again, these are the big names that contribute to this book. What's interesting to note is that Steve Englehart, you know, comic book writer, is writing a full-fledged novel coming soon. I looked it up on eBay, and I kind of want to get a copy. Max Allen Collins, who was writing um, the um, Dick Tracy comics after the original creator retired. That's pretty cool. So anyway... We've got a variety of stories, a variety of plots, and I have to say right away, unfortunately, this very first one, Slab, I hate it. I'm going to give this one a one out of five. I love that this world is created of some sort of futuristic world, um, but it's just, besides that, it's such a weird jumble, because we have this one character who's a reporter meeting with another character who's also a reporter, I guess, but then they merely... An, that they're merely vessels that get inhabited by the real main characters, which are S329, Agent of Storbor, and Klan's Bond the Foozle. So this is just a holdover of like the 60s and 70s underground comics where they make up bullshit names. 
and then they expect you to believe them. But with such a realistic story and contrasted with such a cutesy character, it just doesn't fit. Non sequitur. Maybe I'm just too square to, to get the joke, but I don't, I don't like... And then look at this. So the one character transforms into the other character and she's writing a bed. Is that like a joke on the Silver Surfer, I guess? And then this mild-mannered cameraman gets doused with chemicals and he becomes this monstrous brute that suddenly is, is killing and needs minerals and absorbs people. Again, the art is amazing, but the, the story is just gibberish. It's really such a shame. Like, okay, this you know funny animal character on its own would work great, but it just doesn't fit with this realistic story. And the sci-fi aspect of it, I, I think... I think there's a joke going on here that I just don't get. And I'm usually more open-minded to comic to comic stories and the like, but just this was a slog. I couldn't wait to get done with it. And it was 20 pages long. This is taking like 50% of the whole comic. Yeah, it's action and interesting panel layouts and such, but it's just, oh my God. And then at the very end here, after the misunderstanding is vaguely cleared up, you saved my life. Of course, what did you expect? <laughs> what did I expect? <laughs> and she's like, okay, dude. And then that's it, folks. <sighs> we'll be back in uh, Sundancer coming soon. Yeah, this, uh, this story, I hated it. Moving on. Amber 3. Okay, this one's interesting. Um, there's an aspect that I loved and an aspect that I hated. The plot is a rhyme based on the classic knick-knack, paddywhack, old man, nursery rhyme or whatever, which I hate. But the story itself of um, a deal with the devil and you lose the deal and then you're tormented for all eternity. I love that part of the plot. And then, of course, his eventual torment, which leads to complete subjugation. So that part's kind of cool. So the way to read this is to skip the lame nursery rhyme aspect of it, which is half of the quote, and just jump to the second half of the quote. Ignore the first part. Because then you can ignore the, the attempt of a rhyme with the rest of the story and just focus on the important parts. Now eternity's judgment is due. Now my soul is no longer free. Now we stand at Hades' door. So yeah, ignore the rhyme part of it. That just was so juvenile. I hated that part. Just read the second half of the quote and, and of course enjoy the amazing art. So I'll give this a four out of five in the plot because just the, the juvenile nursery rhyme just really killed it for me. The grandeur of what we're seeing with a nursery rhyme. I guess that's the point. Juxtaposition of juvenility plus maturity, I guess. Speaking of juxtapositions, then we move on to Howard Cruz's Meditation on Death, a very comedic look at what we will all experience one day, even you, YouTube watcher. So we have this jovial character, who is Cruz himself, just strolling around the city and so forth and meeting various aspects of death, teaching a young child that they will pass on one day as well, reminding us that we are no better than the animals of the animal kingdom, and then a very meta thing right here. Some of us try to soften the finality of death by leaving things behind, that we've created. For instance, after I'm gone, I'd like to think somebody might pick up my comic book and have a chuckle. Fat chance, you say, but permit me my illusion. And who knows? Here I'm drawing this comic strip about death. I might be dead myself by the time you read this. You can never tell. Whoa. He predicted his own passing because as of this video right now, Howard Cruz has passed on back in 2019. So when he was writing this in 1981, 40 years ago, he was very much alive and jovial. Here, 40 years later, we're reading this together, and he's predicting, hey, you might be reading this while I have passed on. And he did pass on. 
rest in peace. Anyway, this is a fun story. I'll give it a five out of five. I like this contrast between joviality and seriousness. This is a serious topic, as serious as a heart attack. But Cruz presents it in a comedic sort of way and a bit of a positive end as well. So that's nice. This one's interesting. The P. Craig Russell uh, story has no dialogue. It's all told visually and it's uh, overall followable, unfortunately, until the end. So we've got this warrior, various other villains that he battles and defeats no problem in this fantasy world. Uh, but wait a minute, he doesn't actually defeat them. By the end, he gets knocked out. You think, well, with such a vicious battle, they're going to kill him. But no, they just capture him and take him, I guess, to their queen or ruler or something. So he wakes up with this ruler and they kind of... Uh, look at each other for a while and then this is where it kind of gets jumbled up because um the queen thinks for a moment about this proud warrior i guess and things change where then she i guess unleashes her hordes of cute creatures and they overwhelm him and i guess kill him um yeah so that's kind of weird uh, the art of it, of course, is a 5 out of 5, as I said, but the story-wise, it really falls off at the end, so I'll give this a 4 out of 5. Here's a fun one, Mark Hempel, uh, The Meaning of Existence. This is very meta. Here is a cartoon character that realizes that they are a cartoon character, but no, they want to be a real person. They look like a real person. They're a real person, but this cartoonier guy says, no, you're, you're a cartoon. You're the figment of imagination. Look at you. You're made out of lines. There's nothing you can do about it. You're either an actual human that is currently reading this comic, or you're a cartoon. And then we see, like, a real person. Wait a minute, it's a real person. No, it's not a real person. It's dots. It's just dots on, on, on paper. That's not a real person. What are you talking about? So the sense of existential crisis ends with, Please, uh, I'd rather not exist at all than remain a comic character forever. Hey, now, I think that can be arranged. Dramatic like even. And he gets erased. So this is an enjoyable story. I'll give it four and a half out of five. Existential crises of cartoon characters? Yeah, I'm on board for that. The one-page story. This one's kind of fun. Again, I wish it was fleshed out in, in more pages. This is harkening back to the you know golden age of the 40s um, radio dramas uh, with Orson Welles as one of the characters. The main character, Crystal Set, works in this uh, um, radio drama. And so um, it's obviously sexier than what would have been a, a classic comic, but the lecherous radio station owner, I don't know who he is, Mr. Manicotti, uh, he, uh, he exerts his influence upon the main character, but he's discovered in a little fun twist of fate in that they want to create the sound of an opening creaking door, so they put a microphone near a closed door, they open the door, and whoops, they uncover Manicotti's shame. He gets fired, of course. Crystal Set, on the other hand, stays on in his promised stardom with some cheeky wordplay here. Oh, am I fired too? You, I wanna make you a star. If you can take some direction and don't mind some hard work. I've just been looking for an opening, haven't we all? Haha, <laughs> pretty cheeky. So yeah, this is a pretty fun one too. I'll give this one a five out of five. I wish it was a little bit longer. And I'm not sure if um, there's more adventures of crystal sets in future issues of Eclipse. Gotta look that up. And lastly, the story here, the introduction of Ms. Tree. Now, obviously this is a play on mystery, mystery, mystery. Uh, but Miz is pronounced Miz, so this is Miz Tree. If they meant it to be pronounced Miss Tree to further go on the play of mystery, that's not quite right. That's not how you pronounce that. That's Miz, 
not miss. Anyway, Eye for an Eye by Max Collins and Terry Beatty. I loved this story right away. I'm going to give this right away a five and a half out of five. The girl in the red wedding dress. This is just a a hard-boiled, noir detective story with the best of them. We start off with a dark and stormy night, a pensive woman letting us into her world that today was our wedding day, tonight our honeymoon, tomorrow, tomorrow... And then we flash back to perhaps happier times. A girl working in the big city at a detective agency with her mean old boss, who happens to be actually her fiancé. He's he's just an old-fashioned tough guy, and she's a more modern feminist woman. But they've hit it off after they met each other. When she gave him a ticket, they went on a date, and one thing led to another, and then another. And now they're inseparable. But they're quite different sides of the same coin. This is, I thought this was very creative here. Take Vietnam, for example. We both fought it. Him on the front lines, her on the home front. And then their eventual meeting, and then she gave up the force to join his private detective agency, and how their agency grew and became more profitable and such. They hired more people, and then she became his right-hand man, basically. And that partnership blossoms into full marriage. So storybook wedding and so forth at a little chapel we're at the honeymoon and then we return back to where the story started why is this woman in her red wedding dress pensive in the pouring rain because now she must solve the mystery of the murder of her husband to be continued i loved this one this was the best story in the whole book this is the one that i wanted to be 20 pages not slab As I did a bit of research, this goes on to three issues in total in Eclipse, and then Ms. Tree gets her very own comic at Eclipse for, like, nine issues, moves over to uh, Aardvark Vanaheim, moves over to Renegade Press, moves over to DC Comics. It's This character's got kind of a lot of staying power, and I kind of knew about her a little bit, but it's really cool to pick up her first appearance here on Eclipse number one. And there you go, so the various plots from a variety of creators with a variety of ratings. And the enjoyability of the book, well, it is the nature of these types of books to be very enjoyable. So I'll give it a five out of five. Yes, there are some stories in there that were not enjoyable, but the art is overall excellent. The stories are also overall excellent. And what I really enjoy in looking at these books is the the extra material, the back matter and so forth. Like back when these... uh, uh, fantasy portfolios were being sold. You get some Frazetta work, some Boris Vallejo work, Bernie Wrightson, for very affordable prices. I was curious about the one listed back here, Power and Glory, uh, by John Pound. I looked it up on eBay. There's, there's one at the moment being sold for $75 complete. And back then, these were sold for $35. So you've doubled your investment. We have the editorial here. Pause it. Read it on your own. Basically, they're talking about we are going to revolutionize everything by creating a brand new black and white anthology magazine. It can't fail. Yeah, and and, and, in in a sense, it it did. It only lasted eight issues. The company lasted longer than this magazine, um, but there were only eight issues, and it was all bi-monthly. And so this is a this is a series that you can easily collect all eight issues. They're not extremely um, hard to find on eBay and such. So. That's pretty cool. We have listed uh, future uh, contributors that are coming up, plus the uh, subscription cost of fourteen seventy-five. So that's that's reasonable. And again, get this out of the way. Twenty pages of this. Ugh. We've got this Chimera Publications. There's more of these independent fantasy creators. Now this is nineteen eighty-one. 
um, this fantasy stuff really feels de jour of the of the 70s definitely and then to kind of still see it in the 80s feels a bit of a holdover but that's quaint i like that here's a grand opening of forbidden planet emporium Here's a comic that's long gone. So this is Hugo the Cat. He's galumphing your way. Hugo, Animal Kingdom's most overworked and underpaid court jester, along with his bosom buddies, that's not how you spell bosom, and arch enemies. 24 pages, black and white, plus a four color cover. 125. And I kind of like the style of this art. It's the classic, you know, Walter Lance style, Woody Woodpecker style, I'd say. I like that. Here's some other book that I never really heard about, Media Showcase. It's issues six and seven. This one focuses on Popeye. So it seems to be like a fanzine. 250, six, issue, issue six and seven in April and May 1981. Hey, what's this? An ad for the debut of Amazing Heroes. This was a seminal work in the comics press. This went on to hundreds of issues and interviewed uh, thousands of creators. Well, maybe not thousands, but many, many creators. And it was just a staple of the comics industry for decades. And here's a preview of the first issue. And you could have gotten four issues for free if you signed up for this introductory price. After the Ms. Tree story, we were reminded that that creative team is also working on the Mike Mist Minute Mysteries. So the same creative team working on this um, on this other hard-boiled detective uh, story as well. So I gotta check that out because I enjoyed Mystery. I'll probably also enjoy Mike Mist Minute Mysteries. A reminder of the amazing work that Eclipse has done, such as creating the very first graphic novel, Saber. They work with Jim Starlin, P. Craig Russell, Steve Englehart, who after being kicked off of his creation, Howard the Duck went on to create Stuart the Rat. A preview of Eclipse number two in two months. Check, pause that, read that on your own. Hey, Rick Geary is gonna make a contribution. Nice. Again, these are the uh, creators of this uh, issue. Pause it, read it on your own. Soak in this amazing Bernie Wrightson black and white art. His mastery of chiaroscuro is just tremendous. That's a fancy term meaning black and white. And then the uh, fantasy portfolios there. So obviously a very enjoyable book, five out of five. Lastly, should you get it or shred it? Definitely get it. Get the whole run. It's only eight issues. Eclipse the magazine only lasted for eight issues. They all feature these oversized dimensions, beautiful interiors in black and white, and beautiful eye-catching covers. And there's only eight of them to collect. So these are definitely recommended. And so this week I reviewed Eclipse the magazine number one, published in May 1981 by Eclipse Enterprises. Did you watch the video version of the show? That's over at youtube.com slash vmcampos. Did you pledge to the show? That's over at patreon.com slash vmcampos. Get in on the fun for $3.33 a month. If you can't quite pledge at the moment, no worries. Simply like, comment, share, do all that good stuff. And also tell me what you thought about this issue. Have you read any of the Eclipse Magazine issues? What about the competitors like Heavy Metal, 1984, and Epic? Tell me in the comments. Which of the stories was your favorite? Tell me in the comments. And also let me know what other fantasy magazines I might look at in the future. I'd really appreciate it. And so this was the weekly VM Campus Comic Book Club, and I'll see you next week.